Well, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a solid core of, like, a few million people. Who've read all the books. Who've, who've read like, the yeah. book, yeah, exactly. Even people who haven't read all the books, like, Dune is like, if you've read any sci-fi, you've probably read Dune. So... I avoided it for the longest time because of the fandom. I was like, I don't, I don't want to get in this. Well, it, yeah, I, I, t- what I, what I've, I, I still haven't read it. I, I keep meaning to, but the reason I've never read it is because um, Frank Herbert's son teamed up with somebody else to start making new books, like set further in the past and further in the future. And everybody was saying that they were like super appalling and like killed it and made it rubbish and they're just terrible compared to Frank Herbert. And it's like... When I go into a fandom, I go all in. Like, I'll read everything. I can't stop myself. It's why I've never gone in for the Star Wars books, because there's like 400 of them, and I just can't. I haven't got the time. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... Roman? (laughs) Hey! Yes. Yes. We're going Roman. Excellent. You'll enjoy this one. Ave Imperator. Latin words. <laughs> so, this story takes place during the Roman occupation of a large part, but not mm-hmm. all, and I can't stress that enough, not all of Britain. Yeah. So, Never quite got Caledonia, did they? Well, we're going to find out. Because maybe <laughs> they did. Maybe they did. Mm, I don't think the Scots would be happy to hear that. But <laughs> Gaius Julius Agricola was born in a high-ranking Roman family in the mm. colonia of Forum Julie. And a fun fact about that that I found out after mm. deciding I was going to do this episode, uh, it is now, Forum Julie, mm. a little coastal town called Freju, which is where I used to holiday with my family as a child. So Freju? Yeah. It's on, the, it's on the western coast of France, isn't it? It's, it's on the Riviera. It's just a little way down from Nice. I should know that. I've been there quite a lot. Mm. <laughs> But it's just, I found this out quite a way into the research hmm. because I bothered to check where that was in modern times. I was like, oh, I've, I've probably been past his house or no, where his inc- house was. It, it's incredible how the names have lasted, isn't it? Mm. Like, what did you say it was called? Freyus, Freyus Julius? Uh, Forum Julie. Forum Julie. And now it's Freyus. Yeah. Like, that, that, is, like, that is cultural impact. Yeah, they they slowly, slowly just merged the two words together, and uh, first yeah, but two thousand years later, you can still see the Roman root. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that is, you know, Genghis Khan killed a billion, like, you know, millions of people, but you know, nobody cares because <laughs> we ain't using Mongolian to talk about Chinese place names, are we? <laughs> no, but we all, if we do twenty three and Me, other DNA tests are available. Hmm. Um, we all have a bit of Mongolian in us, don't we? Hmm. He's, he's Maybe. the grandfather of the entire world. I mean, probably not. Me and you have got blue eyes, so it's not likely. I've got green eyes. I'm Mongolian. Yeah, well, green, no, green, <laughs> green eyes are a variant of blue eyes. Oh, I'm just a variant. I'm not even well, no, you're, it's oh. the, they're a rare variant, but it's still very much the Northern European. Like, because you've got, you, you can't, um, I mean, you can, but it's unlikely that you'd have a brown-eyed ancestor and maintain a blue-eyed line. Fair enough. Well... There's French in there somewhere, I know that. Anyway, um, Agricola, he was born on June 13th, 40 CE. Mm -hmm. So we're going back almost to the the switchover. Things did not start particularly well for little Agricola, Mm -hmm. as his father was executed by Emperor Caligula before his first (laughs) birthday. Also, his name was Gay Farmer. (laughs) Of course you'd know that Agricola means farmer. Um, Yes, so I'm not going to refer to him as farmer through all this. I'm going to refer to him as Agricola. Fair enough. But yeah, it was a a nickname that he picked up at some point. (laughs) So yeah, Emperor Caligula uh, had his father executed. And I'm sure you're wondering, what, what heinous crime... Had Agricola's I mean, father committed. No, it's, it's Caligula. He, it's quite possible that his crime was like you weren't blue enough on the Tuesday of blueness. <laughs> well, actually, it was. It, it makes more sense in a very despotic way um, <laughs> because um, Agricola's father was one of the people who was basically part of the Roman version of the judiciary, right. and Caligula asked him to prosecute one of Caligula's many, many enemies. <laughs> um, and he said no which, on the grounds that there were no he hadn't actually done anything <laughs> yeah yeah. on the grounds that 
none of the accusations were based in anything approaching a fact. It was, uh, yeah, of course I will lead the prosecution. What evidence have you got that I can use? I apologise, my emperor, but this man does not appear to have talons. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was a case of, well, you can find some evidence. And he went, well, I I can't really. (laughs) And that was enough evidence to say that he needed to die. Yeah, I mean, it's there are upsides and downsides to an absolute monarchy. <laughs> we don't know the exact date that um, his father was executed, but we do know that Agricola couldn't have been more than one because mm. Caligula himself was assassinated on January 24th, 41 CE. Ah, right. As I'm sure you know, Caligula is generally remembered in history as an insane, incestuous, profligate spender who nearly bankrupted the Roman Empire. Yeah, i.e. the trendsetter. (laughs) Uh, Constructing ever more elaborate monuments to himself and trying to convince the plebs that he was a living god, which included his own walking on water bit. Well, I mean, it's it's that joke from The Simpsons, isn't it? You don't go mad without power. It's really dull. (laughs) Well, in order to affect Jesus-style walking on water, Uh he had um, lots and lots of uh, boats and barges and punts and whatever he could find stretched out on a two mile sort of line across a lake and then he rode his favourite horse across it and said there you go I I just walked walked on water water. and everyone went of course you did my liege (laughs) (laughs) please don't stab me in the face (laughs) this guy this guy has ultimate power it did did start the long tradition of the um, what were they called Praetorian Guard Mm. Like being the biggest gang and most powerful people in Rome. Because <laughs> like, they murdered him and then they decided who was the next emperor. And, and as I recall, they also got rid of the next emperor when he wasn't giving him enough cash. Oh, we're, we're going to hit many emperors through this story. <laughs> um, and it's funny, you know, mentioning the horse when I did about him riding across because that was the same horse, it was his favourite, mm. Incitatus. And he, there's a, there's a rumour that he was going to make that horse a senator. Of course. But you know how it is with history. At least some of this reputation is likely propaganda. Exaggerations and such, yeah, yeah. As it's known that he didn't actually come close to bankrupting the empire because they had that much money. They could really (laughs) absorb his madness. It was glory day. It was the glory day. The one saving grace for him was that it was literally just after Caesar. So you're like, sorry, not Caesar, Caesar Augustus. So it was like maximum extent, maximum glory. I mean, even with his profligate spending... His insanity. Rome was super fabulous. Yeah, he, his insanity was pretty much a rounding error in the numbers <laughs> rather than something that was really going to topple the country. And in answer to the question, did he make his horse a senator? Of course, that's ridiculous. He didn't. He only had him ordained as a priest, <laughs> which, which is true. He literally had his horse made a priest. I mean, how does that work in Rome? Like, was he a priest of all the gods? Was he a priest of just one god? Like... Do we know? I'm asking too many silly questions. Do you know what I read? Made his horse a priest. And I was like, that's a that's a factoid. We'll chuck that in. Let's say Jupiter. <laughs> Which would t- I get, for me, I'm saying that makes him a priest of all the things, all the gods, because that's king of the gods. So. There you go. He is. He is the ultimate priest. He was grand high priest. I'm sorry. I'm just imagining like a priest who was like off duty the day it happened. He comes in the next day and he's like, "Why is like, there a horse at the altar?" No one really. No, no, no like, maybe he's like he's like the Jobsworth priest that none of the other priests like. So like you, you've got to go and see the high priest. Like there's a new high priest, the emperor installed, and you've got to go and like see to him. <laughs> Walks into a stable. What the yeah. It's just like horse shit everywhere. A terrified horse wrapped up in some really fancy robes. <laughs> You're his personal attendant now. Here's your bucket. Here's your spade. It's the emperor's coming. The emperor's coming, and he expects to see the high priest read the entrails. It's a horse. Yes, he expects to see the high priest read the entrails. Make it happen. Oh God. <laughs> so, little Agricola. He wisely stayed as far away from Rome as was possible mm. uh, and was instead educated in Marseille, which had originally been founded as a Greek colony in 600 BCE. Mm. Here, Agricola developed a dangerous addiction to that well-known and often deadly Greek vice of... Philosophy. Got it in one, philosophy. Ah, 
I was I thought I was making a, a sort of mocking joke about the tendency to think instead of do. Oh no! My no, next no. guess was going to be feta. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Romans would definitely think. Just don't think too deeply because you know our current emperor has made a horse a priest. So yeah, you, you but, don't I mean, want to dwell on went, that. The Romans went too far the other way, didn't they? Because like when they um, when they conquered like um, I can't remember which Greek city it was. It was the last polis that probably stood against them. Because they, they, like, it was the police that used like mirrors to cut, to get their set their ships on fire, and you know like they had like basically for the time super advanced physics knowledge. Mm. And a Roman le- like the, I mean it's a legend; it might not be true, but the legend is that the Ro- a Roman legionnaire came upon an old man drawing circles in the dirt, and he said like you know pay homage to me, give me some money, you know I'll let you live. And the bloke just kept saying get out of my light, get out of my light. I'm you know I'm doing some maths here, and uh, the legionnaire got really annoyed and killed him. And then later on, they found out that the old man had been hero, you know, the the, the last great physicist of the age. <laughs> yes, but he didn't give me money. Exactly. So he's now zero. Okay. <laughs> Top Roman bants. Yeah. Well, luckily for Agricola, before he got too Greek with it, um, his mother came over. Add a word. No more sodomy. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, she didn't care about the sodomy, but she did manage to wean him off his habit of thinking deep. <laughs> meaningful thoughts and this is this is a direct quote from the mother before he had drunk deeper of philosophy than a roman and potential senator properly may so much as in america today or, or, you don't like, want your senators thinking let, too deeply yeah let, let's not get too high-handed about politics <laughs> we're, we're living through the era of boris johnson is literally untouchable yeah. it's not like our politics is any better i know but it's better to laugh at them to, than to cry at us you know what i mean I laugh at us as well. Oh. <laughs> Nihilism, baby. <laughs> I am the clown with the tear in his eye. But just to be on the safe side, Agricola's mum thought, hmm. do, you know, do you know what will really help to get the idea that thinking isn't really the way to go? I'll send my son to join the army, which she did. No, but fair point. <laughs> because d- despite his dad being executed, Agricola hmm. was still a member of the influential equestrian rank only one step below the senatorial rank. And essentially, he was the equivalent of lesser nobility. Yeah, uh, it's like, there's one thing you've got to give kudos to Rome for, kind of, in that, like, after Rome, like, you know, if your family was disgraced, your family was disgraced. Like, it stuck, didn't it? You couldn't really get rid of it. But... I don't know. I think nobility has always looked after nobility, haven't they? And it's it's one of those things, I think it's the uh, the Churchill quote, isn't it, around... You know, wars have got more bloody since they stopped being monarchies because all the people involved are no longer related. So there's no point in. Um... Yeah, there's no reason to hold back. Yeah. <laughs> it's not cousin Dave who I once went on the piss with. <laughs> Trust Winston Churchill to come up with the one sort of saving grace of absolute monarchy. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Even if they're terrible, at least you can get long-term planning through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even get long-term planning through. Even a good prime minister can't get long-term plans. <laughs> yeah, because it's about me. Um, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons we should have had Hillary Clinton, because, you know, the, we could have had the Clintons so, slowly forming an absolute monarchy. But those damn I, emails. It's not, yeah, but it's not, it's not like she would have had it. It's not like it was a direct line from Bill to her. You know, like you had Dubya right in the middle. <laughs> I know, but that was another um, dynasty. They could have just handed it between the two. You either have a Bush or you have a Clinton, and you just flip between the two. So everyone feels like they were represented not really but a little every four mm. years. Anyway, we're getting on to American politics. I want to talk about Agricola because... So he's in the army. He's in the army, but because he is part of the equestrian rank... When he joined, he wasn't mm. doing it as a foot soldier. He was straight in as a military tribune, which is essentially a junior officer. Yeah, riding a horse, yeah. leading a bunch of men. Yeah, he's he's in a command post from, from the very start. In the time between his birth and his joining the army at 17, there had been enough time for another Roman emperor to have come and gone. Claudius, who followed on from Caligula, reigned for 13 years, and in that time, he had managed to successfully invade and subjugate part of a dismal little island on the edge of the world that was known as Britain. Which he only did because it, um, it, it made him compare favourably with Caesar. So. Yeah, and when, when they took um, the capital of the Catavalonians, uh, he made them wait before they went through the gates so that he could arrive with goddamn elephants. 
<laughs> which if you imagine the people of Essex are suddenly confronted with elephants I mean, walking through the streets they were like oh my fucking word not much has changed really has it uh, so but as a consequence of the fact that he wanted to one up his you know famous ancestor uh, a teenager mm. Agricola found himself crossing the channel to serve alongside the brand new governor of Britain Suetonius Polonius <laughs> that's the name ripped straight out of Asterix isn't it <laughs> sorry Paulinus ah. Suetonius Paulinus ah, less less comedy mm, sorry <laughs> things started well for Polonius and Agricola <laughs> who spent two years happily subjugating the Welsh eventually reaching the sacred isle of Mona or Anglesey as it's known today which was the home of the Druids I mean, so they claim. Nobody actually knows anything about the real druids, do they? I know, but I, I'm assuming because it was a little island just off the mainland, they, you know, they could keep an air of mystery there. So whether it was the home of the druids the or old, just... The old Tiernanog yeah. principle. But it, it makes sense that if you're, uh, you know, a semi-mystic um, sort of organisation that's kind of ruling uh, through your influence, that you're going yeah. to want to have somewhere you can go that's... You're yeah. not just going to be stumbled in well, on when you're you know, there in your to, pants. To, to be to be fair to them, they clearly had something about them because they managed to get a tribe that they managed to get a bunch of tribes that hadn't invented the wheel to ship giant rocks from North Wales to Somerset. So, and build the world's first what I can presume the world's first set of giant dominoes. <laughs> it was, they say it's a solar calendar. Nobody's ever proved that. It could be anything. Well, the, there's new research that says that wasn't where it was originally set up, isn't there? And they oh, were really? moved again. I may well, be misremembering that, but there, uh, there was a thing. I mean, even, even even whether it was or wasn't, the fact that it's there is like, and that we can prove that it was North Welsh Flint, and we know for a fact that they didn't have wheeled transport. Or if they did have wheeled transport, they had no possible way of building a wheeled transport that could, in any way, take the weight of one of those giant stones. Like that, that's, you know, you, you've got there's something impressive about being able to order like what must have been yeah. at least a few thousand people to, to carry a big rock across a country. For <laughs> reasons. Yeah, exactly. Like They must have had power and cachet and all the rest of it. Well, well they, done, they may have We don't used, know anything about you, but congratulations. They may have used their mystical powers in this instance because just as it looked like they were going to be invaded, and I mean, um, Paulinus was almost, he was girding his loins for battle. He had all of his troops there. They were all ready to go. Yeah. He got word of trouble back in southeast Britain. And it had oh, all yeah. been caused by an accountant. As <laughs> trouble so often is. You see, in Norfolk, the Iceni peoples had decided early on Iceni. Sorry. In Norfolk, the Iceni peoples had decided <laughs> early on to align themselves with the Romans. Yeah. Uh, and they'd done this in forty three CE mm. under their king, Prasuticus. No, wait Let's just call him Prosecco. Prosuticus. Prosecco. Prosuticus. Prosecoticus. Prosecoticus. Prosecco um, man. <laughs> they, like many of the women who inhabit Norfolk today. <laughs> so, yeah, under their king, Prosuticus. Uh, to be fair to them, they did do a little revolt in 47 when the Romans suggested that they might give up their weapons... Uh, but otherwise, they were faithful vassals, and they even helped the Romans to put down revolts from other Celtic tribes in late 47 and 48. So yeah. uh, it was only when the Romans said, well, you know, we'll take care of your defence, that they went, fuck off. No, I'm actually a bit familiar with this story, because what, what, what the Romans did was they, they had him sign, like, the protection contract, like yeah. the client contract that they had him sign. Um, they didn't tell them that it disinherited his family. And meant that the Romans inherited all of his land and like uh, titles. We are going to get to that because, in order to ensure that the alliance lasted even after his death, he did sign a contract. But he also stipulated in his will, because he didn't know about that part of the contract, yeah. that a full half of his wealth be given to the Emperor Nero as a show of good faith, with mm. the rest for his wife and daughters, who he wished to continue leading the tribe. Yeah. So he he did not know. That he, he, he was tried not to, be a, to any of it. He, he tried to be a good client. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was like fully half of everything you get. Mm. But I need something for my, you know, my family. In return for the gifts of underfloor heating and 
concrete mm. so <laughs> washing <laughs> obviously no one pointed this out to him because when he died in 60 ce governor paulinus was Turned in Wales. up to clean all of his stuff. Well, no, he, he was in Wales, and the administration of the will was left to mm. a procurator named Catus Disanius. And it is fitting that his name ends in anus, as the man <laughs> appears to have been a complete arsehole in every way. The, 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 the world's first recorded jobs with. Yeah, because instead of just honouring the will and waiting for his boss to come back to decide what to do, yeah. thus maintaining a valuable alliance, he decided he would confiscate all the wealth of the um, tribe. Did, didn't, he have, he could. Didn't, he, didn't he have the women beaten as well or something like that? Well, we're going to get to that because Catus Dianus, he justified this by <laughs> saying that the money that Emperor Claudius had gifted um, the local people of Norfolk as a means of securing their support, it had actually been a loan, <laughs> which he now wanted repaid immediately and Plus with interest. interest. <laughs> yeah, of course he did. Which you can imagine, it was compound interest. He was like, oh, God, it's been... Nearly nearly 30 years now, guys. I mean, why weren't you servicing the interest? It t- turns out I own all of you and your children. Yeah. And the interest was gained by having Roman soldiers loot the lands uh, and ended with the widow queen being attacked and her two daughters being raped because apparently that's another way that you can pay off a loan. Ugh. Now, Cat <laughs> Dianus had probably reasoned that the leaderless uh, tribe would not have the will or wherewithal to fight back. And this proved to be a rather significant miscalculation. <laughs> yeah. Because allying with the Trinovanates, Queen Boudicca managed to raise an army of around 120,000 angry Celts. And she Do you led... know what this story always brings you to mind of? You know that yeah. Terry Pratchett bit about... Um, you've read Jingo, haven't you? The one where Vimes goes oh, to clutch. Yes, yes, yes. the, the bit about um, the Dreg tribe attach, uh, attacking... And, the, and the, there's, like, the really experienced Clatchian soldier who's, like, being ordered about by a young officer. And the officer's like, how bad can it be? They charge at dawn. It's not that bad. I've, I've been charged by all these people, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you've never had a, you've never had a direct chicken come in at thigh height, have you? It's like, <laughs> it's like, the implication being, like, it's the whole tribe. It's, it's, not, it's not just the men or the women or the children. It's the animals. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's somehow the houses are getting in on the act. Every know? part of the natural landscape is about to charge at you. Yeah, the druids are there, like, take this one, fuckers. <laughs> well, Boudicca... She she took that view and she took pretty much the entire population of Norfolk uh, and led them south to march on the Roman city of Colchester. <laughs> All of them cousins. <laughs> Every last one. Now, luckily for him, Catanus was in London at the time yeah. uh, and the people of Colchester sent word to him asking for reinforcements to prepare for a siege. Again, mm. 120,000 people were coming to attack them. Yeah, there's probably well more than every single Roman actual trained soldier in the whole of the province, yep. isn't it? So. But to be fair to Catanus, he he jumped straight into action and sent them 200 auxiliaries, and then he <laughs> called it a day. Uh, he sounds very efficient. Yeah. Not surprisingly, Colchester was burned to the ground, and even worse for the Romans, an ill-advised attempt to break the siege by the 9th Hispana Legion resulted in an unprecedented loss of over 2,000 Roman soldiers. Mm. By this time, Governor Paulinus had abandoned the attack on the Druids and had rushed to London, but decided that even with three legions of Roman soldiers, he would probably be overwhelmed if he met Boudicca and her men in open battle. So, making a tactical choice that only a Roman could make, I think, because it's pure, cold military logic. He left London and retreated up the Watling Street, looking for a place that would give him a tactical advantage. Leaving (laughs) London and St Albans to be sacrificed. St Albans was called Camelodunum at the time, wasn't it? It was. Point to you. Spawning the legends of Camelot. Really? Did that come from St Albans? Uh, well, I mean, as I understand it, I may be misremembering, but I, th- I believe it, it's like because it's it, it all comes from France, doesn't it? Mm. So it's like um, the original Arthurian romances aren't even British; they're French. So like Camelodunum, as a name, like remained, and it was like this was the mythical capital of Britannia as it was before you know it degraded into the Dark Ages, mm. which I know don't exist anymore because we decided to get rid of that as a term. But roll with it. Um, Camelo. <laughs> okay. Camelodunum became Camelot somehow. I'm not exactly sure. Does that mean that I'm 
dreadfully out of step and no longer hip in that I still imagine the Dark Ages as a period of history. Well, it, I mean, no, because, like, that time happened and it was, you know, you, you can't argue that for the vast majority of people it was a regression from from the, the highs of the... Like, you know, you're not talking about a time where a provincial, slightly wealthy person could have underfloor heating and access to internationally traded goods, mm. you know, at a reasonable price that he could afford within his means. Like, it was a complete regression in that terms. But the reason that they decided to bin off the Dark Ages is because, actually, most of the learning of the Roman Empire was preserved, albeit piecemeal. It wasn't like there was any one place that had all of it, apart from mm. Byzantium, obviously, but that doesn't count because it was in Greece. Um, <laughs> Bit but, far for um, them to well, travel. Turkey, I suppose, really. But, um, yeah, like, because monasteries preserved almost all the knowledge, like, there wasn't actually a total cultural regression. And eventually, as, like you know, trade routes and stuff got set up again, it was a lot easier to start up than it would have been if it had been a complete regression to the mm. mean kind of thing. So that's why they've got rid of uh, the term the Dark Ages because they feel like it implies that it was a complete collapse, whereas it was only a sort of complete collapse for the uneducated people. The monks mostly kept mm. most of it around. Yeah, so where were we? We just discussed how the Dark Ages technically aren't allowed yeah. to be called the Dark so Ages anymore. Boudicca had found that she had been able to march to London and then on to St Albans, practically Calodian. unopposed. And it, it, it wasn't intended to be sort of like mind games, but it led her to believe that she was pretty much going to be able to kick the Romans out because why wouldn't they defend these major sort of centres? Um, <laughs> yeah. And if you were wondering where the guy who kicked all of this off, hmm. Catus Desanius, uh, was... Because, Cato the Anus. Yeah, Cato the Anus. Um, but he'd fled the country ent- entirely as soon as he'd heard that Colchester was lost. So, Top banana. Yeah. He's like, ooh, your plan's not really... Catus? <laughs> Catus? <laughs> Write me in goal! <laughs> <laughs> but finally, somewhere in the Midlands, because we don't know exactly where... <laughs> where all the bad things yeah. happen. <laughs> Polonus found a battlefield that would negate the Celts' massive numerical advantage. What he found was he found a ravine with woods to the rear and open fields to the front. This mm. was to funnel all of the 1,200 angry Celts into a Tw- narrow area. Surely it was 120,000. 1,200 angry Celts versus three, versus three legions. The <laughs> How wussy were these legions? The 120,000 Celts into a narrow area. The Celts outnumbered the Romans by at least 10 to 1, and Agricola mm. must have known that there was a good well, chance that he could be killed as he lined up for the battle. So, so the Romans claim. <laughs> There's a certain element of history oh, is written by the all, victors All of here, this you know? is entirely written by Romans, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I killed a million people with my giant penis. <laughs> as we have no other sources, the Romans were outnumbered 10 to 1. Yeah, and all they had to fight with was sharp sticks because all the swords had fallen apart. (laughs) Well, in the event, the Roman tactics, as they often did, prevailed, and a hail of javelins followed by a wedge formation thrusting deep into the Celtic lines Hmm. led to the um, 120,000 Celts breaking and trying to retreat. Unfortunately, they'd set their baggage trains up in a semicircle behind the battlefield so that all the women and children could get a good view, and essentially (laughs) they'd trap themselves. The battle became a slaughter, and it is estimated, again by the Romans, that as many as 80,000 Celts died in a single day, which mm-hmm. was roughly the equivalent to the amount of people that they had slaughtered in the three cities they'd destroyed. Yeah. So it's pretty much a wash. Yeah, which makes it very suspicious, but go on. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't trust the Romans. Like this massive history of completely lying to make themselves look really good. <laughs> um, both... Paulinus and Agricola were recalled to Rome shortly afterwards, but Agricola had learned a valuable lesson regarding how to deal with rebellious Brits. Stab them. Stab them good. Mm. It, it was, it, there was a lot of stabbing involved. <laughs> Agricola, back in Rome, he got married to Domita Desidania. And spent... Did he marry, was that marrying up or marrying along? That was, that was marrying laterally. Yeah. What's that sound in the background? Oh, sorry, that's me rubbing my hands together Ooh, like a greedy banker. Uh, so he got married to Domitia. Yeah. Uh, and they spent some time together in Asia, where his daughter was born. He had a few sons as well, but these both died in early childhood, so we're not going to focus on those. It's just amazing to me that, like, 
2,000 years ago, people were getting around to that extent. Mm. Like, that's what a stable government, like, okay, not even, you know, massively corrupt and full of problems, of course, but, like, basically stable government gets you. Like, he, mm. he, he was born in France, worked in Britain, and buggered off on a honeymoon to Asia that lasted a few years. Like, okay, he was a noble and had access to things that most people didn't, but, like, he wasn't a, you know, top-end noble. He, you know, people didn't know his name, he wasn't famous. It's like, that is incredible. He returned to Rome via a stint in Spain. Mm. <laughs> Just what? speaking to your point, he'd yeah. also stopped off in Spain. Uh, and he or managed... Galicia? Was it Gal- Galicia? Galicia? Something like that. It wasn't Gaul, but it was... No, no, anyway. Gaul was a northern Europe, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but he'd managed by this point to climb the political ladder to the position of magistrate. Oh, like his dad. Mm. And being near the top of the power structure was both a blessing and a curse. And in 69, Agricola had to make a choice that would literally decide the course of the rest of his life. Because, you see, Emperor Nero, this is going to come as a shock to you, he'd <laughs> never been particularly popular. <laughs> and in 68, he found himself declared a public enemy. Mm. Nero, believing he would be executed by being beaten to death, decided to take his own life, and he had his few remaining friends dig him a grave. <laughs> right. <laughs> he almost lost his nerve, but at the sound of approaching horses, he decided to beg one of his friends to kill him instead before right. he could be captured. And out of love for his friend, or just because he didn't want to listen to Nero's whining anymore, yeah. uh, this friend complied. But when the guards found Nero, they didn't just sort of watch and go, oh, you've done a good job there. They tried yeah. to save his life as the Senate had decided not to execute him as they wanted to preserve the Julio-Claudian bloodline. Right. So, although they were going to curtail his powers, yeah, and they were going to essentially, you know, military yeah, but, coup, but, and he was but there was the sneaking suspicion that Augustus had been that good because he might actually have been a god. Yeah, <laughs> we don't just, want. Just, yeah, let's, let's let's hedge our bets here. Guys. So <laughs> what the plan seemed to be for Nero, we're going to use him as like a stud horse. <laughs> so he's not going to have any power, but he's going to live somewhere where he can live comfortably, yeah. and we're just going to make sure that 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 bloodline endures. Yeah, we'll just see. Maybe his son will be the next Augustus. Who knows? And I really hope they explained all of this to him as he died. So you can really, really you'd have been see living how in much a pleasure palace. <laughs> how much he'd fucked up. Just like, oh, yes, there would have been wine baths. <laughs> and, and all of the hoes. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> every single hoe in the entire empire. <laughs> We're thinking of making it a law that every woman of age would have to spend at least one night in your pleasure palace. Um, Nero, though, he was replaced by a man called Galba. But there were three uh. others who felt that they were entitled to the throne and Agricola had to choose who he was going to support, knowing mm. that if he chose wrong, it could mean the end of him and his family. Mm. So he's got a one in four chance. <laughs> it's not great odds, is it? <laughs> Better than the lottery, but then again, the lottery won't kill you. So. <laughs> well, Agricola, possibly due to his time spent in Asia, he chose to support a general who was currently posted there uh, called Vespasian. Ooh, Which may ominous. not have seemed like a winner at first as Galba was murdered by a man called Otho on January 15th and was declared emperor in Rome. Hmm. He was immediately challenged by a man called Vitellius and after a number of battles between their forces, which inadvertently led to the murder of Agricola's mother, <laughs> so he wasn't going to support either of those anyway, um, yeah. Otho decided to commit suicide and Vitellius was declared emperor on April 19th. However, Vitellius celebrated his victory a bit too much, and he actually did almost bankrupt the treasury in a matter of months. <laughs> so he almost did what Caligula could not. That's how bad a leader he was. Well, yeah, but he also probably was dealing with a much smaller treasury because in a time when, if the, if the empire's that split, there were potentially four candidates for emperor, I'd imagine that quite a lot of it wasn't paying tax. <laughs> Don't defend this man. He was terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> and it was at this point when the grumbling in Rome had got loudest. Vespasian rolled up. Yeah, because he, during all of this infighting, sort of in the centre of the kingdom, he'd been quietly making alliances and strengthening his power base. And Mm. he swept in from Egypt with his armies. And Vitellius suddenly and terminally found that he'd alienated and squandered the support that had made him emperor in the first place. He was killed in the palace where he was packing up valuables before (laughs) fleeing and Vespasian. Where, like, I, I, sorry, it's just that like I've read, I, I've I've read potted histories of Rome and like various emperors through various times have tried to flee. It's like, 
where were you going to go? <laughs> as far as you were concerned, Rome was the whole world. There was nowhere to go. <laughs> he'd actually, he'd got out of Rome, but he decided that, actually, there's a few more things I could take with me. Went very valuable. He went back to the oh palace. He thought he had a little bit more time, and then Did. he got caught. Um, and Vespasian was declared the emperor the very next day on December 21st. Fair enough. And victory for him was also a victory for Agricola. He was, mm-hmm. re- he was rewarded for his support with command over an entire legion called the 20th Victorious Valeria Legion. Fair enough. Which is that an upgrade on being a magistrate? Then? It is, yes. Oh, fair enough. I, I don't really know. And it is. just so happened to be stationed in... Asia? No, Britain. Britain. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so he's... <laughs> his reward was go, go back to Drizzle Rock. <laughs> his reward was go back to Drizzle Rock the second time. Down on Drizzle Rock. <laughs> but it was a fun time to return, as, after a near decade of relative peace, hmm. the brigants of the north had taken advantage of the fight over who should be emperor by removing the Roman sympathising queen, hmm. Cartamandua, and getting down to some good northern revolting. Yeah. Yeah. And they knew how to do it. Um, Agricola, he spent four happy years trying to quell the rebellion, but every time he <laughs> defeated an uprising, another would pop up. So it's a bit like an angry Yorkshire whack-a-mole <laughs> kind of game that he was playing. I just picture it as Yorkshire asterisks and obelisks. It's a good way of picturing it. It was set up so that wherever the legionnaires went, those people would fade away. So it's mm. guerrilla tactics, and wherever they just left would pop up and start revolting and start fighting. So it's a really frustrating time for Agricola, as you can imagine. Because <laughs> it's like, why wouldn't you just meet me on a field of battle? And like, whoo-hoo, no, we saw what happened there. <laughs> we do have We've memories more than... Memories, yeah. <laughs> we are not goldfish. We, we do know what happened. His tenacity, if not his success, was rewarded, and Agricola was asked to return to Rome in 73 to be given his first governorship job in Aquitaine in modern-day France an area oh, that would become an English territory for much of the Middle Ages. It is recorded... As is only right, because yeah. who would want to be under the French? Um, it is recorded that Agricola was <laughs> strict, yet inclined to mercy, a combination that won him many admirers, both in the province of Aquitaine and in Rome itself. Mm. But his four years there, they were just a warm-up for the big job. This was him trying himself out in the lower leagues to see if he had the chance. <laughs> He's gone to rain just to prove himself. <laughs> yeah, and it was finally time for the big job, the job that you feel he was born to have. Because it's going to be it's going to be the governor of Britannia, isn't oh, it? Oh, you know it is, because in '77 <laughs> he entered Britain for the third and last time in his life as the goddamn governor. <laughs> And he was determined. I like to imagine him strutting in like Vince McMahon. No chance. That's what you got. <laughs> it would have been apt because his goal, his his stated mission and aim in pacify this, the whole whole island. The entire island would be under oh, Roman rule. A, that was his. Oh. That was his mission statement. Oh, that's a big. That's a big one. <laughs> you got a long way to go there. <laughs> his predecessor, Julius Frontinus had started the process by subjugating the Silores <laughs> people. Julius Frontin. Frontinus. I know you care, you know. I just don't care at all. I was just front. Do you remember was, that song? Yes, he was you just front. I want you good. <laughs> but he'd started the process by subjugating the Silores peoples of southeast Wales. So it seemed to Agricola, yeah. Wales was a good place to start. But he, hadn't they already got Wales? No. They'd been going for Wales when the entire Boudicca thing had happened. Oh, yeah. And they hadn't quite managed to finish the job, and the Welsh had slowly sort of retaken all the Wales territory. was the prize as well, because it, it, had, it had the most accessible gold, didn't it? Probably, yeah, it would have been. Well, yeah, I mean, but they already had Cornwall, and like, it was, it was, yeah. they, they were more about getting the tin out, because they could, you know, for bronze and stuff. But, yeah, it, it just in, you know, you were in the middle. When, when I took over, you were already in the middle of... You know, taking over. Yeah, I'll finish this off. Yeah, you've done half of it. I'll just take the top half. Uh, So he immediately went to war against the Ordovices in North Wales. Agricola was happy to march into the hills at the front of his army to inspire courage, and he quickly managed to reach the northeastern shore, looking Hmm. across the narrow channel to the home of the Druids, Anglesey, the place that he'd been as a seventeen-year-old, wet behind the ears boy. He was finally back there. This time ready to do it good and proper. Yeah. 
The druids on the island saw the Romans. <laughs> Bugged off to Ireland and got away. <laughs> they also saw that the Romans had no ships. <laughs> and laughed at them because the Menai Straits are not to be messed. <laughs> yeah, they, they indeed did before going back to their huts to do druidy type things. But I'm going to eat that mushroom and travel through time. <laughs> but Agricola, he'd thought on his feet and he'd ordered his stronger swimmers, the ones who grew what? near they the swam the Menai Straits. Yeah, to strip down to just, I'm guessing, a, a cob piece and a sword hmm. and swim over for a surprise attack. Jesus Christ. It was so surprising to see these mostly naked men glistening with water, running at them and screaming that the Druids surrendered the island to Agricola with barely, you know, a sword being raised in anger. Well, they were a priest class. I'd be surprised if they did fight. (laughs) We're talking about a bunch of mainly older men. (laughs) But it allowed him to finally finish the job that his mentor, Paul Innes, hadn't Mm. managed to 17 years before. He conquered Wales and he conquered, conquered the Wales Druids. And he conquered the Druids and he... No, he terrified the Druids. A lot of them had to go through trauma counselling because... <laughs> Which I'm sure the Romans had lots of. <laughs> there's dignity in losing in battle. There is not dignity in being charged by a completely nude man. I mean, you know, we've, we've progressed here, haven't we? Originally they were in cod pieces, but go on. <laughs> well, they were wet. You they, know. they took them off. <laughs> yeah, you have to take them off. You don't want that sort of wet small piece of leather against your crotch. So he just yeah, stripped down enough. completely and charged at them. Although maybe they respected that, you know, they fought us in the correct Celtic fashion. <laughs> yeah, if only they'd been blue, there would have been no shame at all in this loss. <laughs> Naked and screaming. So we, we followed tradition and we relented. Um, Agricola, though, rather than pillage Wales, began mm. aggressively reforming the system of taxes to ensure that it was as fair as possible. Oh, Unusual choice for a conqueror, but okay. He decided that he would win the peace by aggressively implementing very fair and reasonable reforms on the Welsh. Mm, Fair enough. Sounds like an enlightened ruler. Well, he reasoned that if the average Welshman believed he was being treated well under a Roman occupation, then the agitators wouldn't be able to raise further rebellions. Uh, Yeah, um, so so he was a thousand years ahead of the game, basically. Do you know what? He was pretty much right. Yeah. The the average Welsh person was fighting because they were told, if the Romans ever take over, you will be reduced to being a slave, you will have no Mm. money, you will have no food, your women will be taken for the harem of, you know, some posh Italian twat, and your Mm. children will be eaten. Let's be fair, as if the Welsh could stop that happening anyway. Mm. If if a posh Italian wandered into Wales today, he could have their women for his harem. (laughs) I'm saying nothing about the timeless beauty of the Italian people. <laughs> it's, it's not their fault. They're just really handsome. They're very <laughs> handsome. Having decisively dealt with the Welsh, though, during his first few months uh, in charge of Britain, so he'd, he'd really hit the ground running, Agricola decided to try and extend Roman rule further than it had ever reached before and set off on a campaign to claim the entire island. He wanted it all. Did he want it now? <laughs> he he wanted it within the next five years. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's it's an aggressive schedule, but doable. Yeah. Uh, traditionally, the Brigante allies had formed a convenient barrier between the Roman-held territory and the nine northern Celtic tribes. Each of these had their own unique history and culture, but as far as Agricola and the Romans were concerned, they could all be grouped into one large homogenous group of warlike savages called the Caledonians. Mm. So it's... It's all those people up there. Yeah, the ones who aggressively reject civilization. <laughs> well, they reject a certain form of civilization. They were civilized to a degree. In 79, Agricola launched his campaign northwards from a base in York. He marched up the east coast with a supporting naval force, providing the troops with supplies. And mm-hmm. by 80, he had reached the Firth of Tay, over 200 miles to the north, having faced practically no opposition. Uh, that's just them doing what they always do, isn't it? <laughs> we'll let the midges work on them and then we'll attack when they don't expect it. Well, yeah, the Caledonians probably hoped that this was just an exploratory force and they'd eventually turn back, but they yeah. were sadly mistaken. Agricola and his forces built a series of forts across from the Firth of Tay to the west coast, facing mm. the Isle of Mull, essentially cutting the country in half. The Romans spent a couple of years solidifying these gains... Hmm. Before in 83, Agricola decided it was time to carry on northwards and force the Caledonians to give battle. Yeah. 
Well, he's, he's left him with only the Highlands and Islands at that point, hasn't yeah. he? Was, uh, they, they must have been quite pissed off. <laughs> and he's going to squeeze them even further, because according to the Roman historian Tacitus, the Caledonian tribes had banded together under a leader called Calgacus, and had actually had the audacity to attack a Roman fort. My God. Yes. They failed to take it. Um, and Agricola <laughs> believed that he had the measure of the size of their forces. So he gathered a force. He gathered a force of seventeen thousand troops and marched to find Calgacus. Mm-hmm. He finally found him occupying the high ground, which is always disconcerting, yeah. uh, at a place called Mons Grappus with around thirty thousand angry Scotsmen. Oh no! That's, yeah. According to. Um, Tacitus, and again, mm. this is the only account we have, so mm. big pinch of salt here. Calgacus gave a speech to his men, suggesting that a, the reputation of the Roman army was not deserved, and he referred to them as, quote, a scanty band, scarred and bewildered, staring blankly at the unfamiliar sky, sea, and forests all around. Hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, in response, Agricola just told his men that these Caledonians had only lasted so long because they were a pack of cowards and cravens who had avoided battle and were not even coming to fight now, but rather had been trapped with nowhere left to run. Do you get the impression that Tacitus was a thwarted playwright? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what Tacitus was. Yeah. Uh, he was Agricola's son-in-law. <laughs> so, again, when I Very say, balanced. <laughs> when I say pinch of salt... Huge pinch of salt here. <laughs> mountains, <laughs> mountains. More salt than the Sargasso Sea. <laughs> uh, the Roman forces advanced uh, so fast that some of the Caledonians mm. were left unharmed as the yeah. battle passed them by. So they were stood there screaming led, with the swords. Led by Agricola, my 12-foot-tall father-in-law with an 18-inch penis. <laughs> Solid gold armour. <laughs> but I love the idea that the Roman advance was so effective that there were Scotsmen stood there with a sword, just as everyone just moved past them. You are irrelevant. Yeah. And just eventually, when they were sort of looking down at the feet and sort of, you know, Mm. scratching the ground with a sword, someone just kind of turned around as an afterthought, stabbed them in the head. So I'm I'm very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You competent? You're competent? Okay, die. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds very, very believable. So, yeah, according to Tacitus, uh, it was a complete rout. Yeah. And 10,000 of the 30,000 Scotsmen were dead for less than 500 Roman auxiliaries. Of course. Because actual honest-to-goodness Roman legionnaires didn't yeah. even need to get involved. That's how easily <laughs> this was won. They were like, let's send the people that are vassals for us, and if they get into any trouble, we, we might get involved. But otherwise, let's have a barbecue. Which they did. <laughs> <laughs> Agricola. What, really? That, that's in the written history, that they had a barbecue instead it of fighting? Is, it is not in the written history, it's implied. Oh. It's, it's implied. implied. <laughs> <laughs> he goes into detail about all the fine meats and rubs that they had, but well, never actually talks it's, about the It's cooking. the one thing they took from Boudicca, is that if you're at a battle and you're not going to be directly involved, you may as well set up a grandstand uh, and serve meats. <laughs> and start selling hot dogs. <laughs> and thus baseball was born. No. Agricola capped off his victorious campaign by sending his fleet to sail around the northern coast of Scotland to confirm, once and for all, that Britain is in fact an island and, (laughs) more importantly, that he was in charge of it. It was his. (laughs) Because it's amazing to think that even at this point, I mean, there had been a a Greek sailor, I believe, who'd said that he'd sailed round um, and confirmed it was an island. Aeneas or something. But he'd also made up a few islands that didn't exist. Yeah. So, um, had he? Possibly. But <laughs> Agricola was the first person in sort of trustworthy... Slightly trustworthy. Slightly trustworthy. ...who'd Let's confirmed that. that Britain was an island. Because you get to about, you know, where the Brigants were, and it was like, north of here, there could be anything. Yeah, it was, it was Hibernia, wasn't it? Yeah. Like the, the land of eternal winter and all of that yeah. bollocks. There are wolves and dragons and sea people... And Scottish people. <laughs> I refuse to believe they exist. Dragons are, of course, true. <laughs> but nothing like the Scots could possibly exist. But yeah, he, he was in charge of all of Britain, essentially. Hmm. For about a year. Yeah, because that was absolute bollocks. And what actually happened was like half the, half the, half the Celts like, didn't even turn up because they were like, I'm not fighting him. <laughs> Why would I fight? He's going to go away in a bit and I can just have it all back. 
Well, unfortunately, that was the right plan because yeah. between the start and the end of his campaign, because it had taken him, you know, six years actually, he'd, he'd gone over budget. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Emperor Titus, who had supported Agricola, had been replaced by Emperor Domitian, <laughs> who had felt a bit differently. Domitian yes. decided that Agricola was showing him up. Um, <laughs> by being too successful. <laughs> essentially, yes, because um, Domitian, yep. he'd... Was Domitian reading Tacitus's reports? Because that, that sounds like a case of Agricola shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> no, uh, Domitian, he was like, well, it doesn't matter because I'm going to have all of these really, really successful campaigns in Gaul. And it turned out... There were people left to fight yeah, in Gaul. Yeah, it turned out there wasn't that much to do. And there wasn't that much in mainland Europe left to conquer, really. So he was, he was left sort of taking, you know, a, a city that had revolted and going, look at me, I'm the greatest. And everyone no. was just totally absorbed with news of this man in Britain who was pushing... Actually fighting people. Yeah. Actually fighting people. And he was literally pushing the boundaries of the known world, which yeah. is far more exciting. So yes. he felt this, this guy, he's, he's not doing it because, you know, this is his job. He was made governor of Britain. He was like, yeah, well... He's, he's not shown repeatedly throughout his entire career that he's just a loyal servant of the emperor that he chooses to serve kind of thing. Yeah, just trying to... I want you to govern Britain. I will, I'll be the best governor of Britain you've ever had, sir. You won't, you won't be sad that you hired me, good yeah, old agricola. Yeah. I'm over there. I'm going to give it my best shot. No, he was like, this, this guy's making moves on being an emperor. Because mm. I, I guess when you've had this many emperors in such a short space of time... You're yeah, well, it be was a bit paranoid. It's like it was person. the downfall of Rome, wasn't it? Eventually, the, the idea once they'd shown that anyone who got like close enough had a decent shot at it, it sort of collapsed the entire upper structure of mm. command. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't trust anybody who was actually competent because yeah. they might be they competent had a reason. Enough. Yeah, yeah, to, to seize the throne, and all they had to do was really was become successful. They were rich enough to pay off the Praetorian Guard. But all you need to do is surround yourself by incompetent people, and uh, then. Yeah, yeah, your empire's going to fall apart, but there's no one who's going to challenge you. <laughs> so, win? Yeah. Maybe? Let's, let's, let's watch Boris Johnson's government and see how that goes, shall we? So, um, anyway, eventually, after, you know, the reports coming back, oh, yeah, he now he's now controlling the entire island. Oh, and he's confirmed it's an island. And mm. he seems to be sort of um, suggesting he might just take a summer trip over to Iceland, see if he can't conquer <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> Could you imagine if the Romans had conquered Iceland? Well, Domitian, he wasn't going to let it happen um, because in 85, he ordered Agricola to return to Rome. Hang on, like, what, like, just, just as an aside, what about Ireland? Shouldn't Agricola have like, gone to Ireland before he went to Iceland? Uh, if, if the Scots were ungovernable, you're not going to cross <laughs> to Ireland. <laughs> I believe actually um, there was some trading going on with the Irish, and it was it was probably one of those things where it was like, "I'll get to you," <laughs> uh, but he never got the opportunity. They were just bored, like, "Oh, we already know you're there. I want to go and see what's over there, where nobody knows anything." Yeah, yeah, we know about you guys. You you you're fun. You you're just you're just you're just more more difficult to understand Scottish people. Yeah. <laughs> Can I find an accent that isn't completely incomprehensible? Please. But there wouldn't have been anyone in Iceland at the time, would there? You would have found an island. Like, you, you would Free real estate, in, yeah. You would have thought he was in hell. Like, literally, that like, Iceland corresponds pretty well to the Greco-Roman idea of hell, doesn't it? It's fire and ice together and like horrible, unlivable land. <laughs> Agricola landing there and just going, I've gone too far. <laughs> we're, oh, we're, going, no. we're, we're going back, people. <laughs> Never, ever come here again. <laughs> just turn the boat around. Turn it around! <laughs> Before the gods find out we're here, this Jesus Christ. <laughs> Very quietly, with the oars. Come on, guys. Just go back. Now, but, you know, he was he was recalled, mm. which it's it's all right. The average sort of governorship was about five years anyway, so he'd, he'd actually gone longer than yeah, most. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't actual shame at this point. No, yeah. no, no. And, you know, he might have expected to actually receive... A hero's welcome, yeah. Well, a triumph. Um, oh, yeah, he should have had a triumph, yeah. really, by all, by all previous imperial standards, absolutely. Yeah. Which, for people who don't know, I know you do, is a parade where his achievements are honoured by the populace. So you get a parade through the centre of Rome, and you get uh, a riding in a chariot yeah. with um, with the big with the halo of leaves on your head, yeah. and you'll probably get a statue, um, maybe even a triumphal arch if yeah. you're really really lucky. Uh, however, Agricola was specifically ordered to report to the palace under cover of darkness, 
And, although he eventually got a statue in his honour, it was clear that Domitian... Well done. Thank you. ...thought <laughs> he was a show-off. Uh, and he decided... Well, Domitian just sounds like the word, like a really bad example of, um, you know, jealousy. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Well, it, I think it really was a case of... You're if, better than me and I can't stand yeah, it. If I acknowledge you, it's almost like I am telling everyone, look, here's someone who would be a better placed emperor than mm. me. Here's someone who's more tactically astute, who's able to expand the empire, who's able to do all the things that an emperor should do. Because the other thing is, Agricola was loved by the people that he um, sort of led because he had this streak through him. What he did with the Welsh about, right, I'm in charge, but I'm going to be incredibly fair. He'd done that in northern France. He'd done, yeah, he like displayed it, yeah, yeah. He was, right, I'm your boss, but I want you to think of me as fun boss. Right, yes, yeah, but, but also tough boss. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, he's like... He's like he's the go-getting guy, the guy that everybody wants to be. Like you know, it's like if I had to pick a boss, I pick the guy who's going to get stuff done. He's going to get the best out of me, and is is going to let me slack off on Friday afternoons. But on Monday morning, I'm in at nine working hard. You know. What I mean? Yeah, so I, I don't want a boss who's just across the board lax because that means yeah. that Jeff from accounting can just get away with his shit, and I yeah. I don't want to have to put up with that shit. Yeah. But he he gives you enough leeway where it's where it's earned. Yeah, he he trusts me to do my own thing, but mm. he's on top of it. Yeah, yeah. So Agricola was like top boss, and yeah. it was it was well known because all the people who'd served with him and had ended their terms were going back to Rome and going, oh yeah, and and not just Rome because of the way the Roman oh, yeah. Empire was all over the empire and spreading this legend. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about the time I served under Agricola. He was amazing. Yeah, best boss I ever had. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And now I'm under fucking cat anus. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he he decided it wasn't enough to bring him back to Rome because actually, although it he meant didn't that, want him in Rome, <laughs> yeah, it meant that he couldn't do any more, you know, campaigning in Britain, any more of the sort of subjugating of the British. It did mean he was in Rome. Yeah, and <laughs> being shoved in front of everybody's faces while everybody's going, "Look at that prick Domitian!" Hey, look, there's Agricola. He's boss. <laughs> yeah. So he thought, "What I'll do is I'll offer him another governorship somewhere." Mm. Where there's less scope for showing off your Somewhere talents. completely pacified, where it's just about collecting taxes and sitting in the palace. Yeah, so he said, I- I've called you back. Hmm. Under cover of dark, because I have a super top secret mission. Uh, <laughs> you know that really settled um, vassal state that we've got near Syria? Yeah, <laughs> Palis- I've, Palestine? Yeah, I've, I've heard tell that these people who've been docile and completely agreeable to everything for the past 200 years... They're, they're going to have a bit of a set to any mm. day now, and I need my top, top general, yeah. my top tactical mind over there. So I need you to go to Africa <laughs> now. <laughs> Can, are you the man for the job? And to his credit, Agricola graciously declined. <laughs> but rather than try to seize power, rather than try to upset the apple cart, he decided, you know what, I've, I've probably done enough. And I'm he retire. retired to his family estate in southern France, living Jeez. quietly with his wife until his death in 93. He did, he did it right, man. Right. Men of greater ambition but lesser brain would have tried to seize the empire at that point or taken it as an insult and it would have devolved from there. But he, like, he checked out at the right time. What, like... The cutest thing about it all was he became obsessed with beekeeping. And, like, oh. Other, other sort of, you know, um, more go-getter, more, um, more ambitious yeah. um, young Romans would, would come to his estate because he was this famed general and would try and ask him for advice. And he'd, he'd just be like, yeah, 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 this is how you fight a battle. But now come, come and see my bees. I really need to talk to you about the bees. And Tacitus again, he's like, yeah, he was, he was happy with his bees. So. If you understand the bees, you understand life. Yeah. Do you see? Do you see? <laughs> this, everything I learned... About tactics, I learnt from the humble honeybee and its assault on Mother Nature's greatest foe, the flower. He had a great, he had a great time, and he had this. I mean, we're talking what a good ten years of quiet retirement where he could just enjoy himself in in pretty much ultimate luxury as a top end Roman. Which is something that all of these power hungry would be emperors never never got, got. and he's quite possibly. I mean, for my money, 
the most influential Roman during the nearly 400 years of Roman occupation of Britain. In terms of, he was there during the Boudicca revolt. He mm. was there during the revolt of the Brigantes after the year of the four emperors. And he was the governor at the point at which the most of Britain was conquered. At the, at the highest extent of the yeah. province of Britannia. I mean, the claims that it was the entirety of Britannia, probably lies. not true. <laughs> no, just, just lies, definitely lies. <laughs> But I, I think part of that, because this was all written in Tacitus's um, book Histories. on... Yeah, it yeah. was it was called, rather uninventively, Agricola. But I think part <laughs> of it was a dig at the current um, sort of leaders of Rome who had allowed all of the gains that had been made in Britain to slowly drop back and were only about 100 years from Hadrian's Wall, which was essentially an admission... Yeah, we the, can't keep Scotland. Yeah, yeah the, the, the Roman Empire did have a limit, which, although it was quite, quite astute of Hadrian at the time, was probably seen by the populace as this massive... Yeah, I mean, it kind of... It's like You're sort of deliberately capping yourself, aren't you? You're putting a high watermark on things, which mm. sort of inevitably makes the assumption that everything afterwards is going to be a drop. Bless them. Which, yeah, it pretty much was from that point. Yeah, um, you can't expand forever. Because after after um, Agricola was removed, it wasn't like they held onto it for a specific amount of time. It was immediately the new yeah. governor began withdrawing forces from Northern Britain. Uh, it's because it was just constant argy bargy. Like, <laughs> I either need a million soldiers or none. There's, there is no in between. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was one of those things, as I think we've said about holding Britain as a territory at all during the Roman occupation. It was. Not the biggest sort of holding that they had, but it was definitely mm. the most expensive to run. It was kind of like a prestige thing. Yeah. You know, we, <laughs> we are so powerful, we can hold this unruly mob of barely civilised... Yeah, these absolute barbarians, yeah. we can impose our will on them. <laughs> yeah. It's not about the fact that it's cost-effective or that we're getting anything out of it. It's the, it's the it's idea about, that we It's can. about basically showing off to China. <laughs> We've done this. Look at, look at what we can control. <laughs> when, they, when they get in their infrequent diplomatic messages from the Empire of China, China's like, oh, yeah, well, there's an island off the coast of us that's an ancient civilization, inscrutable, and, and you know, we're in constant shenanigans and trade war with them and the room that oh yeah sunshine <laughs> well we've got an island empire off our coast right <laughs> and it's full of absolute lunatics <laughs> but there are lunatics now but we conquered them that's how much better we are than you sunshine paper back off <laughs> what about what about this north bit that just has drawings of fish people and dragons yeah, we choose not to go there <laughs> yeah. we can and we proved we did yeah We've got a whole book about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, speaking of the book, the source that I used, the main one, mm. was Agricola Germania by mm. Tacitus, but specifically the translation that I read, because would you believe I didn't read it in the original Latin? Yeah. Uh, it was a translation by a man Pleb. called Harold <laughs> Mattingly. And the reason I picked that one over the others is because he gave a great um, preamble breakdown of everything that was going on around uh, Agricola's life. Yeah. Um, and, and he contextualised like, it for yeah, you. Yeah, the motivations for Tacitus in writing this, because part of it was, it, this was essentially the eulogy for his father-in-law. It was after he died, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he wanted him to be remembered as a great man because he'd known him as a great man. Yeah, uh, yeah well, he, this was the man who'd let him bank his daughter, so, you know. It doesn't always mean anything. <laughs> but, yeah, it was it was a eulogy as much as anything else, but it's also the only history of the period we have. So yeah. it's it's very difficult to pick out the fact and the fiction. I think probably where you read it, where it was an absolute rout of a battle and no one died, just it was a good win. Yeah, I mean... It's probably I, fair. I, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the Romans just, like, tended to add zeros. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't really believe that the Celts could actually muster 120,000 people. Right. <laughs> I, I just don't believe that. It's too much. Do you- like, wh- where was where was the food for this population coming from? You're talking about a world that didn't even have organised ploughing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it had ploughing, but like it was like Dave had a plough. Do you, do you not think you should borrow the plough and you get more done? Uh, yeah, maybe. But no, none of that. <laughs> well, for every Roman they killed, that's quite a lot of meat. So 
if they killed 80,000 Romans, that's like... Yeah, exactly. I, I'd believe 12,000 Celts for 8,000 Romans and like a couple of thousand on each side died and it was considered a major slaughter. Mm. I'd believe that. But that doesn't that doesn't draw the box office. You need... Well, no, because the people in Rome are like, well, I know that there's 400,000 people in this city. Not, you know, because they conveniently forget that Rome was the world's first metropolis. Like... <laughs> Yeah, so for the audience at home, you just need to up the numbers so it seems relevant to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, I can that's my, that. that's my That's my opinion. It's like my completely uninformed, you know, I'd be really happy if a historian with actual knowledge would get involved and tell me what, either why I'm completely wrong or I might have a point or anything in between those two extremes. Like, just please get in touch and let us know because I would love to know more. Well, it's and like, I'm too um, lazy to do my own research, so... <laughs> Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.